Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. This podcast is brought to you by FanChain, introducing the first cryptocurrency for the global sports market. Learn more at FanChain.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Future Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Juliet Lamar, and joining us today, we have Jason Bacalou. He is the founder and CEO at Nobella Tech. Welcome, Jason. Hi. How are you, Juliet? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm excited to learn more about Nobella Tech. So why don't you go ahead and give us, our listeners, a little bit of insight into Nobella Tech. Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Jason Barklew, and I'm actually the founder and chief operating officer. My CEO is Mark Polkamp. So Nobella Tech is a really simple idea, and the idea is to crowdsource idle intellectual properties that are languishing in institutions around the world. So one might be able to think of it as an Airbnb of intellectual property, where we take uh, this underused intellectual property. There's about $4 trillion worth of unused intellectual property out there. And we take it and crowdsource it to the global scientific community, primarily the underserved scientists in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. So we break down silos by open sourcing this intellectual property and giving those scientists that are ordinarily isolated from participating and collaborating, we give them access to do that. And we provide them an end-to-end research tool where they get free access to the intellectual property. They get free access to grants. They get free access to lab equipment. They get free access to a manuscript development tool. They get access for free to the preprint server where they can place those manuscripts that open access publishers can pull from. And then we reward the scientists with Helix tokens for all of that collaboration that they do within the platform. Wow. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that that having an original idea and then moving forward with it in, in any industry is, is definitely difficult. But science is something that, you know, we need to keep this momentum going once someone comes up with an idea and gives them the tools they need to bring it to fruition for for so many different reasons. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah, science is, uh, you know, 1676, uh, one of the most famous scientists in the world, uh, quoted as saying, if I see far into the future, it's because I stand on the shoulders of giants. And that was no mm-hmm. other than Sir Isaac Newton. And if Newton recognized that the only way science moves forward is by standing uh, on the shoulders of the predecessing scientists, then we need to be doing that today. Unfortunately, in the West, much of the science gets locked down in silos. As a result of that and lack of communication and collaboration, many scientists are doing exactly the same studies and spending money duplicatively or triplicately where they're selling, uh, doing multiple research studies in the same area, but not knowing that that's happening. So that, that's a, obviously a big problem. The other problem is because of the lack of open science, we're not only not collaborating, but we're not able to meet the needs of the underserved populations around the world because they don't get access 
to these things that are locked down. Generally, if you think of the pharma space, for example, those markets aren't considered big enough and rich enough to uh, be serviced. And that's the same for many products. And when you say it's being siloed in, you know, why, why are people taking these ideas and, and these these innovations and, and locking them up? You, you think that is it all just money? Is that my, my biggest fear realized? <laughs> well, there was a major legislative act that occurred in uh, a few years ago called Bayh-Dole. And Bayh-Dole basically told organizations that they had the right to monetize their intellectual property coming out of their research institutes and, and universities. And so the idea that I could get very rich by having a piece of intellectual property licensed out as an instructor or a professor uh, is what ended up stimulating this lockdown of silos in the United States was the Bayh-Dole legislation. And I'm not saying that it's good or bad. I'm not here to make a, a qualitative or quantitative statement about it. Rather, just to say one of the reasons why much of the science gets locked down now in the United States is because of the Bayh-Dole legislative environment. Good. Thank you for providing that, that information. Um, some people might not be up to it with uh, with their current knowledge. So let's talk a little bit more about your solution, um, how you're rewarding people with your Helix token and really your mission going forward. Right. Well, the, the mission obviously is to break down these silos and give these scientists the opportunity to collaborate and give them incentives economically as well as free scientific tools to do that collaboration. Again, it, it's also critical for me to mention again that we're really focused on the underserved scientists. Those are the ones that really need the help with grant money, lab equipment, uh, web platform to collaborate on. That All of that has to be provided to those folks, and it's all free of charge under a Creative Commons 4.0 uh, modified license. So everything that they do to push it forward, push that intellectual property forward, they have to freely provide that back to the community. Anybody can go out and freely commercialize any of the developments that occur, but they can't lock it down with patenting and copyright. So that's really nice because it creates a competitive environment, much like uh, one thinks of aspirin. Bayer wins that battle with brand uh, every day but it doesn't prohibit anybody else from developing aspirin and bringing it to the market. So similarly, we want to see a competitive environment develop so that quality goes up and pricing goes down. So that's our mission in a nutshell, is to open up these silos and enable these scientists to move forward in an open science way. That is fantastic. So if scientists in these underserved scientific communities, they have an idea, walk us through you know, how they can, can start working with Nobella Tech to get the funding they need. You know, is it certain ideas that you're looking for? What stage of their idea do they need to be in, et cetera? Right. So that's a good, a good question. So think about a piece of intellectual property that's sitting idle at, say, The Ohio State University. And say it's an advanced material. It's sitting there. Nobody's interested in licensing it. Boeing has looked at it and uh, Northrop Grumman's looked at it, and Raytheon's looked at it, and none of them, for whatever reason, have decided to take that advanced material innovation and license it. So it just sits there and never goes anywhere. We step in, take that intellectual property, put it on the platform, and now allow all of those scientists around the world to look at it. Now all of a sudden, a sudden scientist in Nigeria looks at it and says, wow, I wonder if that could be used for a new solar cell. 
Nobody ever thought about that during the innovative process, uh, looking towards the patenting of it. Now, all of a sudden, a researcher from an interdisciplinary perspective looks at it and says, wow, I see another application here. And that application then gets worked on by all the scientists that aggregate around that technology. And they go out and do their own experimental work, their own designs, and maybe they develop a new solar panel as a result of that. All of that IP has to be freely provided back into the community. But anybody is free to go out and develop that solar panel against that languished intellectual property of that advanced material that came out of The Ohio State University. So that's fantastic because information and learning and advancing advancing our human existence really should be free in, in my mind. And I know this maybe is there might be a couple different camps of thought here, but you know, information I believe should always be free. You know, there it's really interesting if you think about public dollars funding research. You know, then it's got to turn around and be licensed out and then be charged back to the same taxpayers that originally subsidized it just sort of doesn't make sense. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm in agreement with you that the taxpayer shouldn't have to pay twice. They shouldn't have to pay once to subsidize the R&D, and then they shouldn't have to pay necessarily again for the product to be delivered. That said, we do understand that there needs to be competitive environments out there and whether one agrees that patenting is the right way to go or not is not the argument to me. Knowledge will find its way to be free and open. We just need to figure out a way that it's protected to the innovator, that the innovator can be potentially remunerated for it. You know, they're not altruistically doing these innovations. Some of them want to be remunerated for their invention. So some of your listeners may develop something out there and all of a sudden are they going to give it away for free and they might do that in an open source model but they may also not want to do it in an open source model so i on my perspective on it is yes we want knowledge to get out there and free at the same time we need to figure out how those people that do those innovations can be remunerated for it absolutely and which brings us back into you know the helix token and so why don't you tell us to our listeners a little bit about the the matchmaking process that happens between the producers and the consumers and then moving into you know, the collaboration platform as it's affected by the Helix token. Right. So as a platform, we're taking those IP producers, the ones that have that idle intellectual property, we put it on the platform, and then we promote that to the scientists around the world who can now come in and work on it for free. So those are the consumers of the intellectual property. So that's the platform of connecting the users with the consumers or the producers with the consumers. The Helix comes in, and what makes the Helix interesting is that in science, there are really two hallmarks in which scientists are remunerated. Number one is the uh, getting a grant. So they complete an RFP application, a request for proposal application, and they're awarded a grant. Then they go and do all of the research that they promised to do under that RFP application. And hopefully at the end, they've got enough data that they're able to generate a publication. That publication then gives them leverage for the next grant application. If you fail to get a publication, then you're going to be it's going to be more difficult for you to get a grant for your next opportunity. So that's really the scientific system 
as it is today. Get grant, get publication. Leverage that, get new grant. And so you have this feedback cycle that occurs in which both of those things must happen. But everything that happens in between, all of the science that happens in between those two points currently is not rewarded. Helix can step in and provide those scientists with, all, with an opportunity to leverage the science that they're doing and be rewarded for it. So here's a, an example that we, we like to use. So you've got a, a scientist in China who's rallied around a piece of this orphan or dormant intellectual property, has taken it further along, now has a manuscript in Chinese, but needs it converted into, say, English can go on the platform and say, hey, can somebody translate this for me? And I've got Helix that I collected along the way for registering on the site, got uh, Helix for that, collaborated with other scientists, got Helix for that, added some slideshows and micrographs, got Helix for that. All of these many, many things that they can do to get Helix. Now they can provide that Helix to the translator who translates the manuscript from Chinese to English. And so now the Helix becomes an in-network ecosystem of monetary exchange. Whereas the scientists earn it, they're able then to dispose of it to achieve goals and needs in a commerce way. I, I love that. That is, it's, it's very straightforward and, and seems like the most simplest solution to, to what's happening. And people can also, you don't have to be a scientist to get involved with the Helix token as well. You can that's buy in, correct. is that correct? Yeah. That, that's absolutely correct. And what's really fascinating about what we're doing in our security token offering, our STO, is that we've actually taken equity in the company and tied it to the Helix. So as the scientists are growing the value of the network, the more scientists that come in, the more valuable the network becomes. So we're anti-exploitational. We're against scientists being exploited. We believe that because those scientists are growing the network, not only should they be able to earn Helix, but that Helix should be pegged to the equity of the company so that as they grow the value of the network, the value of the company grows. And if the company has a positive liquidity event, the holders of Helix can get equity in the company and keep their Helix. So now they're holding in their portfolio Helix tokens, as well as equity in the company. So say the company IPOs, if you're holding Helix, you can say, hey, I'm holding Helix. I'd like to have my shares in the company, and we would then deliver those shares. 25% of what happens in that IPO is spread amongst all of the Helix holders. So the Helix holders are getting a very significant amount of equity in the company because they hold the Helix. As the Helix goes up on an exchange, the equity goes up, and as the equity goes up due to, say, the scientists working in the network, the more valuable the helix becomes. So everybody is winning. The, the investors are winning as well as the scientists. It's such, it's such a wonderful little ecosystem that you're creating, all surrounded by furthering science. Yeah, we're really excited about it. We want it to be open, transparent, democratized. Uh, how democratized is it? Well, we actually are issuing another token called the Nobel within the platform so that scientists who have proven their ability to collaborate earn this Nobel token, and that gives them the right to vote. Vote on new features that come out on the platform. They get to vote on who's getting grants. We don't decide who gets the grants. 
the scientists who are experts in the field determine who gets the grants based on the applications. So it's very open, very democratized, and we enable the scientists to drive the direction of the very ecosystem that they're making valuable. And that's fantastic for, for new inventors or new scientists as well approaching a problem because, you know, you're getting this out, you're not going to spend your time on something that, that potentially is, is not going to have anything come to fruition, and you're drawing upon that knowledge of the community. Right. You get 10,000 people looking at that advanced material that was languishing. You know, somebody that's in the botany field looks at it and says, wow, I have an idea of how I can use that advanced material to create a new plant growth system where you grow a plant on top of that uh, piece of advanced material. As I mentioned, maybe it could be used as a solar cell or, or whatever. It, when you bring 10,000 people in to look at something that ordinarily was languishing, all of a sudden all kinds of new things may pop out that ordinarily nobody would have ever known. So, Jason, how, how did you get involved in this space? You know, what brought you to be the founder of Nobelitech? <laughs> wow, that's tough. So uh, a, number of, a number of years ago, I, I was watching the Linux movement and was really fascinated by how valuable Linux became uh, in the marketplace, how it supplanted Microsoft very quickly in the deployments of that operating system across servers around the world. It was more stable. It was more secure. And then companies like Red Hat popped up around it, and they were able to capitalize on that open source environment. And I was fascinated by that entire movement. And I thought, wow, we have all this intellectual property languishing, as I mentioned, $4 trillion worth. Roughly 80 to 90% of a portfolio in a technology transfer officer's portfolio sits vacant and never gets licensed. 80 to 90%. That's a huge number of, of potentially important technologies just sitting there not going anywhere. And that could be because the technology transfer officer doesn't really know how to market it doesn't have the expertise in the field of that piece of intellectual property. Maybe it wasn't considered a big enough market by whoever was looking at it. So there's a number of reasons why that technology may languish that has nothing to do with the quality of it. And by giving the, this open source environment opportunity to look at it, uh, all of a sudden this could drive forward. So I really got excited and stimulated by the Linux open source movement and thought, man, I could really apply that over to intellectual property. But what a wonderful, wonderful journey. It's always nice to hear how, how people came about these, these really excellent ideas. Right. I, I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm surrounded you know, by really smart people, and the, those are the folks that make this engine move. Uh, I'm just the knucklehead that happened to come up with the idea. <laughs> well, it's a good one, that's for sure. What are some of the, uh, the biggest things that you've learned by working in this space that, that you'd like to share with us? Wow. Uh, I learn every day. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say some of the, the learning, as you know, we're, we're working diligently in the Helix blockchain space. And the, the entire argument about ICOs versus STOs and how the U.S. SEC is looking at uh, security tokens, uh, we decided to take the high road. We made this decision last year that we were going to automatically make Helix a security 
and tie it to the equity of the company and give scientists the opportunity to realize the very value they were helping to grow. So we came into it with the idea it would be a security. What we learned along the way was there were really two options for us. One was to go a Reg D in which only accredited investors could participate in the buying of Helix, which was against our ethos of cryptocurrency, which is it should be open and free to everybody. Everybody should be able to uh, involve themselves in the cryptocurrency space. So the other alternative for us was the Regulation A. And we decided that by going Regulation A, not only could we enable accredited investors to invest, but also non-accredited investors could invest. What we didn't realize, and we've since learned the very hard lesson, is how expensive Regulation A is. Uh, a Reg D may cost you forty to $60,000 to launch, which for a startup entrepreneur who's 21 working in a garage in Palo Alto may be a deal killer. That may be very mm -hmm. difficult for that person. When you look at Reg A, you're talking quarter of a million to half a million dollars in order to make uh, an open environment for non-accredited investors to buy. Well, goodness gracious, how many startups can come up with 250 to half a million dollars to launch a company to give non-accredited investors an opportunity to play? And so we learned the hard way of how difficult it is to be democratic, how difficult it is to open it up and allow non-accredited investors to get involved. The Regulation A is essentially an IPO. All of the reporting that we have to do in order to, to meet the qualification of the SEC is essentially everything you have to put in for to be a fully reporting company to the SEC. It's incredibly expensive and incredibly time-consuming in order to do that. If I look back on it, if I had the opportunity to do it democratically and do the Regulation A or do the non-democratic accredited only Regulation D and S, you know, I can't lie. I, I, it would have been a whole lot easier for us to launch the company uh, to have done the Regulation D, Regulation S and just simply said, well, you non-accredited investors, you, sorry, you can't play. So that was a really powerful learning model for us. Uh, you know, we learn every day about intellectual property and what's important and what the scientists care about, um, what they're looking at for Helix. Can they use their Helix to pay their article processing charges at open access publishers? You know, that entire ecosystem is moving and fluid every day, and we learn something new there. But I'd say the most important thing in the development of the company has been the entire Regulation A process and the cost and time uh, that we've had to undergo in order to be democratic. But it looks like things are coming together and that, you know, this is something that is really going to take off. So if, you know, you have a scientist or, or people who are interested in, in joining this community, what's the best way for them to connect? Well, the best way to do it is go to nobella.tech and register, freely register there. Uh, we don't spam. So, you know, if you give us your email address, it remains with us until we launch the alpha version uh, in late August, we should have the alpha version up and running. The moment we have that up and running, we'll send a note out to those registrants that the scientific platform is now up and running and they can freely register there. And when they register, they get Helix. If they freely register, we, we give them Helix, especially if they use their ORCID. So if they use an ORCID, which is an identifier that scientists get for free at ORCID.org, 
if they get that orchid and they register, they get uh, Helix for doing that. So just registering will provide somebody Helix. Fantastic. So it's nobella.tech. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to, to shed light on, on this industry and really give us your knowledge base that is coming from a wonderful place. Well, I appreciate the tough questions, Juliet. Thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime, Jason. That is Jason Barkaloo. He is the founder at Nobella Tech. You can check them out on their website, K-N-O-W-B-E-L-L-A dot T-E-C-H. Thank you all so much for tuning in. This has been Juliet Lamar with Future Tech Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by FanChain, introducing the first cryptocurrency for the global sports market. Learn more at FanChain.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.